say like I organise my life very carefully to keep me away from panic attacks and like in a place where my brain can function mm. um, as opposed to a place where my brain like just can't join up dots. That kind of narrative of anything other than extraordinary is, is like abject failure was like the way I'd wired my brain. And then uh, like, yeah, put myself under a lot of pressure without any rest and my brain broke. Like one day I couldn't, like I was in the shower and I couldn't stand up and it was very physical. There was one email and I remember opening it and my brain wouldn't, like nothing worked. I was just like, it just felt like loud, loud white noise and there was no processing kind of capacity at all. I realised that I was addicted to work and I realised that that addiction to work was functioning in a very similar way to the alcoholism I'd experienced in others. So this is Vulnerable, the first founder mental health podcast powered by Founders Taboo. Let's get into it. Welcome to Vulnerable. Thank you for having me. No, it's uh, I've been a long time admirer of yours. Well, we've been chatting on LinkedIn for a while. Yeah. Have we? I think so. I think yeah. I, I slid, I slid, slid into Slid on in. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> hey. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's been a while and in that nice way that you like know people in the space and you I kind know. of follow other people's journeys I and know. do that. It's like, so funny, isn't it? You have that these... endless checking out what's on their profile and yeah. then you're like, oh, I've, I've done this before, I've done this before. But like that, that ecosystem is real. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a really interesting, I've made so many friends who I've never met before. But if I And met... then friends you have met? Yeah, 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 yeah. I met a lot of people from Yeah, things. I have so many really close mates. Yeah who I know through LinkedIn. In fact, I moved abroad and I was in Delhi and my best mate there still has me saved in her phone as LinkedIn Lottie. Because my way of making friends in a new city was just to tap up my secondary second degree connections. Wow. And like, that's un- like, that was just completely unheard of. They thought that was like the weirdest, most inappropriate move. Really? Yeah, so I'm known for it. Um, I've been doing these founder walks. Yes. And they've been really fun. Yeah, they look great. It was totally impromptu. Um, I, I've had, I had five or six people reach out to me, seeing my selfies, and being, say, "I want to walk too." Correct. I was just, I take selfies in Putney. Yeah. Basically, I'm so middle class <laughs> with my dogs, uh, opposite Craven Cottage, yeah. and yeah, they were like, "Oh, I'm in Putney too." Right. Like, do you want to, can we walk? And I was like, yeah. Absolutely. So I literally started a Calendly link and people could book into my diary at 7.45, meet at the Thames Rowing Club on the, on the bow houses. And honestly, got I've got people booked in now until uh, like mid, end to off October. I love that. Yeah, people just like wanting advice, wanting... So I had some guy yesterday who... Uh, not yesterday. Uh, yeah, yesterday. Joe Joe Sentinence was his name. Reached okay. out to me, and he is still at, he's working at Deloitte in risk yeah. advisory. I was like, not quite my market, but yeah, okay, we'll yeah. run with this. Turns out he is ex-military. Yeah, founded a startup which he's kind of working on the side, looking to go in full time, which is like the spare room for women and LGBT. Q plus 
community. So his sister had a load of weirdos basically try and assault her through spare room. Okay. Basically saying, hey, come and take my room. Let's have some fun. Yeah. And he was like, this is disgusting. Yes. But there's no alternative. And so he wants yeah. to build the spare room to make those communities feel safer in their renting environments. And I was like, fuck, yeah. That's, that's a, really powerful. That's really powerful. Um, so he he came before work and was like, just like, can I just pick your brains about like, about pitch decks and like, where I've got pitch deck parallel. I was like, wow, okay. Um, yeah, we've got some people coming from North London to come down as well. This is really inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I often look at it like, like, wow, my community is actually genuinely quite powerful now. Um, I, I just never, I just throw it out there. Who wants to come and get some help, I think. Um, I just want someone to go for a walk with in Hackney. I'll take <sighs> northeast. You've got a southwest. Yeah. Well, why do you do that? Well, yeah. you can start the walking club. I just do a lot of walking around London Fields alone, and I'd much rather walk around London Fields with someone. Really? So, you sh- so that's I'll a great do, place to start. We'll do yeah. south and west. Yeah. I'll do south and west. Yeah, yeah, and I'll and cover the other side. East and north can decide who they like more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Guys, pick your loyalties. Yeah, exactly. Um, do that. All right, yeah. Yeah, do it. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i just throw it into my um, calendar, as you say, and yeah. then expect tumbleweed and complain to you that no one wants to go walking Why with don't, me. Why don't we actually make this into a thing? Yeah. Genuinely. Because there's so many founders out there who need who, who need help. First-time founders who want to... Who don't know how to raise money, who don't yeah. know how to build a community, who, mm-hmm. who just genuinely need just somebody to speak to. And a morning walk, there is nothing better than getting out for your Yeah, look, for your but brain. I mean, I'm, he- I'm here for me, <laughs> for sure. But I just think what a great way to start the day mm. with like a really energising chat, a load of cold air. Yeah, exactly. That'd be amazing. Do it. All right. And That's I'll really promo- inspiring. I'll promote yours. Yeah, okay. And, w- and we'll actually make it into a, like a walking club. We'll do a little swap, yeah. The founders walking club. All right, so first step is a calendar link calendar and then a selfie link. of me pacing and we'll there see what go. we get to. Yeah, Found- a founders walking link. Okay. I'll promote yours, you promote mine mm. and we'll split it north South, East, West, yeah. whoever wants to come. Most cohorts. Yeah, and you can, we can see, because also part of this was that I'm quite introverted, even though people think I'm quite extroverted. Really? Mm. Surprised a lot of people. And uh, like walking into, obviously you've just come from a networking event at Fortnum and Mason's. I have just come hot from a breakfast. Um, which thing. I'm going to say sounded like a bit of a shambles, but um, I don't know whether they will never listen to this, hopefully. If they do, <laughs> fuck it. Uh, <laughs> it was it was really nice. It was really formal. I have shorter fingernails than I did when I went into the meeting. Cool. Which I think said a lot about my stress levels. Yeah. Um, so that kind of like networking event scares the shit out of me yeah just don't i don't do it i say yes to everything because i feel like i should not be a dick because i get invited to a load of shit and then genuinely i'm i know every time it happens i'm an even bigger dick for making an excuse why i don't want to go on the day yeah and then what what happens to you the day after oh i feel amazing oh really yeah because i haven't gone oh i see so i go I push through and then I have to pick myself up the next day. Yeah, I don't. I actively now don't go. Okay. 
and that has been the choice I make and has been massive. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, to the people who, well, to the people who have invited me to network <laughs> events recently, I'm so, so sorry. He's not sorry. but Not at all sorry. I just don't, I don't, I don't like people. I don't like them. No. So I've had this idea for a while. Mm. I've been speaking to a couple of friends who are investors and also founders who have very big communities behind them. And I said, We're, there is no introverted networking event. What does that look like? To me, it means one-to-one -one time with somebody, very small groups. Yeah. I can get to know somebody deeply, which yeah. is why I love doing podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Right? Podcast is a great social construct yeah. to have a long old chat. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I think this is probably my, with that inadvertently, my foray into yeah. building some sort of introverted networking event where it's like one-on-one. -on -one. And any people can ask me anything about mental health or building a company or whatever that means, whatever they want to ask me. Yeah. And yeah, I can just help some, some people. And I feel good as well after it because like, the first time founders who come down to walk with me now, and there's been three, um, and I've got, yeah, about 15 lined up. Like, oh, so it's really hard. Mm. Really hard. I find it hard, and I've done this before. But it's really fucking hard. And I just, yeah. I think there's, there's more ways to help than LinkedIn posts, even though I do do a LinkedIn post after. <laughs> There's definitely more ways to help the LinkedIn yeah, yeah, post. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Let's take that as a as a baseline. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Let's talk about you. All right. Where do you um, want to start? Out there, when we were just speaking, yeah, you kind of alluded to right being on the kind of sort of brink with your mental health, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay. I have no idea about your background. where I'm at. Yeah. Where are you at? Um, I'd say now I actively manage a fairly normal level of anxiety that is a lot, but I don't think unusual in any way. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really active. Really? Yeah, I think it's for lots of people. I, I mean, I don't know. I say that like without knowledge um, because I don't know who's talking about it. But I start from a point of like my position not being particularly unique, albeit like I do think running any kind of business adds a layer of stress that is like perhaps harder to find in other walks of life. Like it's a, it's a particularly stressful choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd say like I organize my life very carefully to keep me away from panic attacks and like in a place where my brain can function, mm. um, as opposed to a place where my brain like just can't join up dots. Mm. But I think like this year I'm in a really good place. I had a breakdown last year, in early, early last year that was like a real like the moment I started talking publicly and consistently about mental health as a concept, the moment I understood that mental health was was actually mental health and not just like a made up thing. Mm. Um, and yeah, and like the point where I started to get better and in control and I'm like, yeah, I feel pretty, pretty steady. How did that breakdown come about? 
Um, I'd been building a business during COVID off the back of like a childhood, like, a, you know, the, the journey goes so much further back, right? Like A-star student. Mm. Cambridge grad. Yeah, yeah, like told myself if I didn't get over 95% in every paper of my A-levels, which were more A-levels than I needed to do in the first place, that I was a failure. And that kind of narrative of anything other than extraordinary is is like abject failure was like the way I'd wired my brain. And then uh, like, yeah, put myself under a lot of pressure without any rest. I think rest is a really key like concept that I've learned mm. um, without any rest. And my brain broke. Like one day I couldn't, like I was in the shower and I couldn't stand up and it was very physical. Um, and then, you know, a week of not moving and kind of slowly, slowly like began to rebuild physical and mental strength from it. Um, and it wasn't triggered by anything particular. Like it was triggered by an email. There was one email and I remember opening it and my brain wouldn't, like nothing worked. I was just like, it just felt like loud, loud white noise and there was no processing kind of capacity at all. And, but that email was like, you know, as difficult as one of 50 emails you get a day. It wasn't that in itself. It was just like the straw that finally broke the camel's back. Mm. Can we just bring your mic closer? So if you no, like if you if you pull the actual boom arm towards you, yeah, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. It won't break, don't worry. Keep going. That's it. And then bring the mic up towards your head. Yes. Amazing. Perfect. Okay. Oh, so much better. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Cool. Cool. Um, we'll edit that bit out. <laughs> no, that bit was great. Okay. Cool. <laughs> going totally raw. Um. I love the fact that you've just snuck in your kind of childhood in there because that that journey, the psychological impact of how one grows up differs from person to person, of course, but yeah, it impacts who you are so much. Like for me, my story, bullying, I was bullied and then there's just been this progression of I'm not good enough. Yeah. Throughout my teens, throughout my twenties yeah. until I broke down and became suicidal. Um, do you have parents who are hyper successful? Where did that need for success come from? I don't know. And I spent a lot of money on therapy trying to find out. Really? So there is no, there's no short answer to that. It's not like, oh, this really formative experience made that really obvious. And that's of course why I think that. Mm. Um, I think I had a younger brother who I am still deeply protective of and kind of care about. Yeah. I mean, without fail more than anything else in the world. And he had quite bad learning difficulties when he was growing up and struggled, kind of struggled academically, struggled like in traditional judgment frameworks. Mm. And um, I think I felt a lot of weight to sort of be, be the alternative to that. And I think 
very different, it felt like very different rules applied to him because of his dyslexia. Mm. And so it kind of felt like by default, well, the normal, like the traditional rules applied to me and that therefore I had to do that job. Mm. Um, So I think that's part of it. I think both my parents have their own, like both my parents are deeply creative and have their own battles with self-worth. Interesting. And that's probably projected onto me. Um, But I think it's come from nowhere other than my brain. It, It always is. Yeah, Probably. and I, you know, I, I think I was a very intense, intense, hardworking, quite controlling, determined child, and I, I don't, I think, I think those traits were there really early on. This sense of like needing to persevere, kind of almost without purpose, as though the perseverance is the point, not the outcome. Hey, can I ask a massive favour? Can you subscribe to this podcast right now, if you haven't already? Your subscribes, your sharing, your liking, your commenting all over social media is increasing our reach, and it's meaning that founders out there know it's okay to talk about their mental health. Thank you. Vulnerable, a Founders to Be podcast has been created to raise awareness on the highs, lows, and taboos of the founder journey. To amplify the raw and unfiltered stories of founders and to remind those listening that they are not alone. Founders Taboo is a movement dedicated to improving access to support for founders' mental health and well-being in order to build a healthier startup ecosystem as a whole. Entrepreneurship is undeniably hard, but it doesn't have to cause hardship. We know that entrepreneurship is often lonely, but it doesn't have to be. Our support includes a safe space to take off the mask and interact with fellow founders in a free online community. You can access hundreds of psychologically informed resources and exercises to build up your mental health literacy. You can source and connect with startup and well-being professionals. You can participate in live support sessions, attend retreats, and much more. We want to promote mindfulness and entrepreneurship, harmony rather than conflict between health and building a business. And this all starts with speaking out and breaking some taboos. Join the movement. All founders are welcome. Follow us on LinkedIn to keep up to date and get involved. And you don't think that was the environment in which? Well, well, clearly it was. Like, I don't, I believe in nurture deeply. Of course. So, of course it was. Mm. But I don't think it was. You know, and it's it's like, it's absolutely a strength. A strength and a challenge that I have in common with my dad. Really? Yeah, he's like phenomenally determined man who will never retire who absolutely loves what he does and what does will he do? always strive for more he's a tv film like tv and film director and writer wow. and just like writes scripts at the end of the garden day in day out that it's kind of a guy fucking tough life you know you don't get stuff made yep. and he just does it because that's what he does he just you know, that, loves it he just yeah well i don't know because that suggests that you know, like with all of us in our businesses, like, do we love it or are we hooked? Like, they're slightly different things. That is a great question. There are days where I really don't love it. Can we ponder that for a sec? Because that is fucking, I love that. Because there are days where I've had some reason. So I've just come out of my latest kind of, well, I'm coming out of my latest lull. Yeah. Which for me is like, 
depression cloud rears its ugly head over a course mm. of two months, maybe three. Mm. Last two months have been difficult. Um, somehow you have to keep ploughing through. Mm. And got to a point a couple of weeks ago, I was literally just talking to Dan about this as well, where I could not function. I didn't want to run the company anymore. <laughs> I was like, and that's what I just live for. I didn't want to, I had no interest in anything. Yeah. And do we do this? I think we do it because it is a, I feel like it's a drug. Yeah. I can't stop. Yeah. I need it. Which is, I don't know whether that's healthy or not. Uh, I think it's deeply unhealthy. Yeah. Oh, thanks. No, no. I mean, I say that, like I can say that with you. <laughs> I can't say that's a value judgment. I think, um, of course, you know, no. last year when things were really bad, I, and I, I have for lots of reasons, I have quite a work, like a deep understanding of addiction and how it functions. Um, not like I don't struggle from addiction other than work, which I'll talk about, but like mm -hmm. know it from what my family have been through. And I, I realized that I was addicted to work and I realized that that addiction to work was functioning in a very similar way to the alcoholism I'd experienced in others. And, you know, like went to my laptop and Googled like Workaholics Anonymous and like, that's not a thing. Oh, I was going to ask, is that a thing? No. Why the hell is it not a thing? Interesting. Like workaholism is like, you might get that on like a novelty mug in Paper Chase. It's like a kind of mm. kooky thing. It's like, yeah. that's, that's completely inappropriate. This is like really serious mm. and really out of control and like, gen like genuinely for me as an addiction. I don't know how, well, I'm beginning to learn, but like I really don't know how to stop working. And unfortunately going to like going work teetotal and actually, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is the addiction speaking, like in my eyes going work teetotal is simply not a choice. What does that mean to you? Well, if someone said they were drinking so much, they couldn't get out of bed for a month, you tell them to never drink again. Correct. Well, yeah. You, yeah. Right. Like if we start with that as a premise, yes. if someone works so hard and in a way that means that they make themselves as compromised as lots of us will have experienced, mm -hmm. you would tell them to never work again. Except that that's absolutely not what our society does or like we tell ourselves that like financially that's not an option and there are loads of reasons why that isn't even entertained as a possibility. Mm -hmm. But I actually think we need to think about it as that serious. Mm. And, you know, and, and me saying like, well, of course I couldn't just not work. It's like, well, actually, I probably could. I probably could have gone, I'm going to take all the cash in the business. I'm going to work out how I can live off that of a long period of time. And I'm going to make some money laboring because that would just be really good for my mental health. Mm. Um, so I don't, I just don't think we, I don't think we see the, the way we're hooked to work as an addiction, which is what it really is. And we dress it up as... Like, I love what I do. It's like, sure, there are moments I love what I do. And I'm very grateful that I'm not doing something else. That's not to say I'm not grateful for it. Um, but there's a lot of time. Like, there was a lot, there's a lot of time where I'd be like, that last hour, I did not love that. That last 48 hours, I did not love that. And I, we can't really talk about it because it feels ungrateful or... Mm. Um, dismissive or like victimising ourselves. 
Yeah. Agree? <laughs> I agree. <clears throat> I'm just kind of processing that because I, I relate to that so much. Yeah. But equally, I kind of, I don't know whether I've been tricking myself. I, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love building. The process of yeah. building is just, oh, but fuck, it's hard. The other thing is I have a real problem with saying fuck it's hard because I always go, well, you, you choose to do this. Mm. And it's the choice. But is it a choice? I, I don't know. It, it's kind of an urge. Mm. I have the, um, again, so there's a multiple things that I'm undiagnosed for, but we think pretty clear. ADHD, mm -hmm. um, potential bipolar. Um, we're going through those processes now, mm. but... The urge to do stuff. Mm. Can't sit still. And that's an urge to... It was an urge, actually, when I had my breakdown. It was an urge to be successful. And I mm. felt like I had failed and therefore, actually, I was not good enough. Mm. I actually had to unwind, unravel those belief systems, mm. which might be something that you've done. I think I think we were always doing it. Oh, Interesting. I don't think it's done because, mm. well, for me, it'll never be done because they build back up so quickly. Right. Explain that. Well, I guess it's what we were saying about childhoods. Like, well, either it's what we're saying about childhood or I haven't done the work well enough yet. But I feel like the, for me, the like the phrase in my brain is good enough. So mm. that's like the the language that I always come to, which is my brain will beat me up for not being good enough. And... Do you have any evidence for not being good enough? Uh, in, I have an abstract list that is ever-evolving of things I would like to be like to have done. But, but is, like, that, is that evidence for you not being good enough? Uh, no, absolutely not. So, like, do I have rational evidence of it no is it is it predicated on anything real no can my brain do the game to tell me otherwise does it all the time of course it's an absolute master of it of course so so the, and this is this is almost my point so this like rational irrational dialogue mm. is active like mm. two parts of my brain are having this active discussion constantly mm. just like oh for god's sake yes you are like you have mm. no evidence for this. Like, stop it. Mm -hmm. Pipe down. Like, that That process is a continual discussion. So I am unwinding those belief systems all the time in, like, many ways on, like, a daily basis as they make decisions. But then they're, they're like, reworking their way back up. And that's, I guess, that's the control. It's, like, how do you, yeah, how do you balance that so they don't dominate? Really fascinating. Um yeah, I uh, I totally see that. Um, Cambridge grad. Mm. How did you get into marketing? I did lots of student journalism at Cambridge because I thought I wanted to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. Sort of without really any knowledge of... Yeah, that was like my best guess on what I wanted to do. So I did loads of student journalism... Started editing an online, like worked my way up. So I was editing an online news service. 
was running a team of like 200 plus volunteers and we were building a basically an online tabloid. What was that called? The Tab? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know the Tab. Exactly. Uh, um, who was the CEO? They sold it recently, but didn't do it. It was Jack. Um, Jack Rivlin and George, yeah. yeah. Fuck, do you know, I sued the Tab. Did you? Yeah. I've got 1,500 quid off those fuckers. <laughs> nice work. Yeah, because they posted a... I was in the Tab. They posted... They actually sold pictures of mine to the Daily Mail. Well done you. That is, that's not cool. No. Oh, it's only because my dad was a journalist. So my dad used to work, I mean, shamefully, unshamefully. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he was, used to be very senior at The Sun and News International. So, yeah. So he knew what he was looking for. <sighs> the, basically, there was pictures of... So when I was at uni, mm. uh, the England cricket team had just won at Trent Bridge mm. uh, against India, I believe. And then a load of the team came to a bar that I was working at one of the cricketers Gary Balance was absolutely blitzed like he was just f fucked and taking his shirt off like just being incredibly inappropriate like like asking me like wh where can I find prostitutes and all this kind of stuff uh, this Classy. And, yeah and so actually it was kind of my fault because I knew somebody at the tab but I'd posted it on Facebook mm. and then one of the journalists or the volunteers from the tab got in touch was like, can I use these? And I was like, no. And then actually proceeded, he was like, well, credit. I was like, no, they're mine, mm -hmm. um, which they were. I then took them down off Facebook because they were, yeah, they're inappropriate photos. And I was like, somebody told me to send that. So I was like, fine. Yeah. And then they went and sold them anyway. Um, they would have made a ton of cash off that. Yeah. Yeah. Done really, really well off that. So I, I remember coming back from uni and this one morning going down to my parents in my parents' house, going down to the kitchen table. My dad had laid out all these papers. Wow. With me all over them. And he goes, and this was like 10 a.m., right? So he's gone to the shops, got all these papers, Sun, Daily Mail, yeah. Times, Mirror, telegraph etc and then put a piece of paper and then he went off to somewhere for the day piece of paper on top of them and goes i've written you a letter to send i was like what letter he was like read it yeah, it was basically yeah. a legal letter that he's written and then yeah we had this Good long for battle you. yeah so what year was that 2015 you can actually, if you Google okay, yeah. Gary Balance, people Google Do Gary it. Balance. Check it yeah. out. Gary Balance, Daily Mail, uh, topless. It will come up and you'll mm. see my face blurred out. There you go. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, tab. Well, <laughs> I was probably partly culpable for creating a culture that did that. So a few years before that, yeah, I was editing the Cambridge one like well before it became, mm. it just started off in Cambridge and it was just one thing way before anyone thought to take it basically realized it caught on mm. and um yeah i was like pulling together this thing and i was keeping it a tabloid and working out what that meant as a tone and what basically what that was as a brand and it, it kind of struck me that what i was good at was holding together a common identity of a like product from 
a whole load of people who were producing a whole load of stuff that had to come together to be a thing that was the tab and that had an identity as the tab and that I innately understood how to do that and I was quite good at leadership Mm. and so I sort of took that not really knowing what that meant and applied for ad agencies management consultants and sort of FMCG marketing grad schemes the ad agency, I, you know, I got a couple of ad agency offers. A lot of them, they just asked me questions like, how do you describe the colour blue to a blind man? I looked at them so deadpan and baffled. They were like, the door is this way. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of that ad agency stuff just did not go my way. And I was like, I think I've understood I'm not a creative. Uh, the management consultancy stuff just went absolutely nowhere because I was an English grad and it was a terrible, terrible plan. And uh, yeah, I got a job at Procter & Gamble and that, was the start of marketing and I like very quickly was like this is my thing like this is I absolutely love this stuff because it tapped into loads of things about my interests that I hadn't really understood came together in this way like what like how people think mm. it's like deep like it's deeply rooted in insight and decision making patterns that I just think are so fascinating mm. and you you get to marry that with like a real need to get shit done which mm. I'm really good at mm -hmm. and and a and a need to to work out when there's a ton of information what the right thing to do is and that kind of suits my brain and so it, yeah it just it, it very quickly felt like kind of home as an industry in a space are you left-sided brain or right-sided brain dominant I don't know what that actually means one is creative and one is logical yeah um, I'm pretty logical. Right. So good at numbers, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, I'm all right at numbers. I'm like the thing I'm best in the world at, which is a question I ask anyone who interviews me or works with me. Like, I would spend a lot of time trying to work out what this is for everyone in like my world. Um, for me, it's about synthesizing a load of information that comes from really diverse different kinds of data so it won't it won't just be like spreadsheets it'll be the way people are feeling about things things that we're sensing conversations we're having numbers we're looking at um and seeing across all of that what it very simply means and that's kind of like that's the skill i bring to all situations like within the business i run and then within the work we do with clients it's fascinating because it's totally the opposite to me really yeah i'm very creative i i'm quite i'm not i don't know whether i'm logical i can I, did you ever come across that movement on linkedin called linky brains no so a guy called alex dunstan um and a guy called doug scott two investors etc came yeah. up with this concept around linky brains which mm -hmm. is like a very it's quite abstract quite meta but um i just resonate so much with it it, it basically is certain brains have this whether it's ability or it's just like what happens that you see a load of stuff and then you join dots and then you can kind of begin to plot the path okay that is how i look at things i d i'm terrible at numbers um i'm not i like if you give me like problems to solve like synthesizing data etc i'm just like i'm not interested at all yeah um 
But if you ask me to say, okay, come up with an idea and how are you going to take it to there? Mm-hmm. Absolutely my ballpark. Okay. Yeah, and, we're very different. Yeah, and I, I don't know where I kind of sit in the world. Yeah. Which actually caused me a lot of internal pain. Yeah. Uh, I used to ponder very deeply and it used to get me down when I was younger about the meaning of life. Mm. I thought, I felt my life had some sort of weird meaning. And actually, I always, I think from my mum, because she's a cognitive hypnotherapist and she's brilliant, but she's very similar to me. Like, yeah. Very big picture. Um, struggle to get down into my new shy of data. Mm. Uh, I just turn off. Uh, so does she. Um, but she was always like, "You need to find your purpose." Okay. And I always like, I was like, I took it too literally. Mm. I was like, right, I actually need to find my purpose. Yeah, right. Or, yeah. Or yeah. I'm not going to survive. Yeah. And that, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. How, we kind of digress slightly but it was just the way your brain thinks i find that fascinating because yeah. i am like is it okay to be this different is it okay to be where do i sit like you can't i don't feel like i can be boxed but equally i don't know what box i sit in yeah very creative but equally like feel like i need to build something mm. but i'm shite at data but isn't that just okay Yes, it is. And I'm really glad you said that because that's the first thing that just came into my head as well. Yeah. And it's like yeah. thank God. Like But, but I I beat I used to be I still do slightly, but I beat myself up over you're not intelligent. And that is that's probably the crux of it, really. It's a like, oh am I intelligent because people are good at data, they can look at things and be like, Yeah, I can synthesize this big thing. I think for you know one what I'm of saying? yeah completely and yeah. I think one of the really there was a lot about Cambridge that wasn't good but Cambridge taught me that I am never just I I just wasn't the cleverest person in the room mm. by an absolute mile I'd come from a private school where I'd been groomed to be there since I was 5 you know it was not a great achievement I just did the like getting in was just the next thing in front of me yeah it's extraordinary isn't it and and then I was like well this is pretty evident that I've been groomed for this and there's a load of people here who haven't and they are far sharper than me in a particular kind of way. Mm. Uh, yet, while I question a huge amount about myself, I actually don't question my intelligence. Mm. And I think that's because I really saw there that intelligence comes in so many shapes and sizes mm. and, uh, to be honest, had very little aspiration for that, like, particular book smart academic intelligence which is what's really celebrated in an environment like that which is not how my brain works at all mm. I have the attention span of a flea mm. the idea of spending five days writing an essay was utterly terrifying spending mm. 20 minutes editing an article was like totally in my bag and I could mm. just see like feel in the way my energy gravitated and that's mm. why the world of work is such a happier place for me mm. because I don't need to like yeah. read a book like no one asked me to do that professionally do I do it my way and I've built I've built a a career I built a work life where I can work in the way that suits me and I think that was a really healthy quick like you know slap around the face you're really not as clever as you thought you were and to get myself to a point where I was like that's okay because I I believe that I have a particular kind of emotional intelligence 
it's mm. really helpful and I have a particular I have a partic- a fast brain in very particular ways and there's a load of ways I'm not good at and that's I'm really comfortable with that mm. I'm getting more comfortable with that I think mm. I've gone on this journey over the last three four years since I was well three years since I had I, I was suicidal mm. where I kind of I totally had to just take a total step back from life mm. and really get to grips with my problems mm. and why I went down that route of the route I did and a lot of it was I was made to feel stupid when I was growing up at school because mm. I, I didn't feel like I fitted in mm. and academia and the school environment was so bad for me because I'm not I, you just not some some of us aren't like that mm. and actually we're we're not given another opportunity mm. and it's one of my big issues but yeah it's been a it's been a it's been a crazy process like I'm like well, you've built xyz and you're doing xyz and you still think you're you're not intelligent it's like well what okay what what is intelligence and yeah, you're like, wow. I, I, I kind of sit here and be like, wow, okay. <laughs> I have it any time anyone talks about fundraising <laughs> or like basic things like equity structures. I have this. And it comes back to like a weird relationship I have with money and finance. Not num- I'm all right with numbers, but numbers mm. that have dollar signs or pound signs in front of them, a whole like a whole other thing happens in my brain. What happens? Oh, I just like turn off. I can't I can't cope with it at all. Interesting. It's like, yeah, it's like like my heart rate will just like skyrocket, mm. um, which is really good when you run a business. <laughs> it's really useful. You have to hire finance roles very carefully. Yeah. We need to be people who are deeply empathetic and like happy to like nanny and like literally like hold my hand through it. Um, but if I'm, you know, if I'm in a conversation and it ta- it like turns to anything to do with that, I just like have this deep, like I am so stupid. I need to be like, there is no way I have a right to be in this environment. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually interestingly really limiting right now because really? like I'm, I've built my business bootstrapped Mm. And I've got one narrative, which is like, that's the right, that's the right thing to do. And it's been very intentional and it's because I'm in control of the decisions. Mm. There's another real, like realistic narrative, which is like, I'm absolutely terrified of the first conversation about an alternative growth path. Interesting. That I've just shut it down. Wow. So so, it just, I hadn't actually hadn't realized it until you were kind of talking about it. I was like, I, I am okay with my intelligence in all situations apart from one, which is whenever whenever like grown up business people talk about financing. Where do you think that comes from? Uh, a weird relationship with money. So my parents, because they work in film and TV and theatre, had a very spiky income when I was growing up. Like it's so far from a woe is me story. Like there were times where it was super fun and we had loads of money and we did incredible things. And one thing my parents have taught me is that money is really fun and really enabling mm. and like I have this in you know many it's like every every story has two coins right mm. so like in in the one sense I have this like deep appreciation for it and sense that like I don't need it but if I've got it well isn't that great and like mm. doesn't that mean you can do wonderful things and can't it unlock great experiences and great memories there were also times where it felt really tough and it was a real trigger of stress at home and of um arguments 
Um, my parents um, now have a happy marriage, but there've been times where it's been incredibly tumultuous and a lot of my really early memories are pretty aggressive. Mm. And all of those aggressive, unpleasant early memories are connected to tension around money. Wow. And so my outlook is incredibly risk averse is all about financial stability because the idea of being exposed to anything like that stress is just like a total mm. no-go zone. Mm. Um, Let's talk about the copy club then because mm. you bootstrapped that, you built that from zero. Yeah. Um, I don't know the chronology of it, mm. um, which is probably my problem. I can In give fact, you the pl plot synopsis. Yeah, so Procter & Gamble yeah. moved into the copy club. How did it start um, and why did it start? So left P&G to go and be head of marketing at proper popcorn and crisps brand, head of marketing in like massive inverted commas. They just needed to give me a big job title because I was earning slightly more because I'd been at a proper company. And I just had like, Brilliant. I mean, yeah, but it was just a story of like most heads of marketing in small yeah. Yeah, like, like SMEs, it's like, like that CEO who's yeah. a one-man person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one-man company. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that was me for a while. Well, yeah, we, we've all exactly yeah. we've all had these I'm ridiculous CEO. titles, and yeah. I just had like an absolute crash landing. I had no idea what I was doing. It was really tough, and the way I'd learnt at PNG and the way I knew that I learned was through conversations with other people. So I started like aggressively networking with other people who were also moonlighting as heads of marketing and it turned out that no one really knew much more than I did <laughs> and th really? that in itself was reassuring like you'd go for breakfast uh, with someone and you'd leave and I'd make this whole show about like please 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 let me pay for everything like you've been so kind and they're like hang on what are you talking about like I feel better for this too mm. and I was like oh you mean you want to split the bill like cool okay like because I just felt so indebted for someone's like advice literally thinking that they all had it all sorted and that they all went in my head, they all went to a pub every Thursday night, like that once a month, there'd be this thing where it's like, oh yeah, the marketing thing. We go to this pub and we talk about marketing and we help each other out. And I just was thinking like, if I do enough of these coffees, someone's going to let me into the thing. It's got to be a thing, right? Like surely. Fantastic. And then like it went on and on. And I was like, still not invited. <laughs> like where? Come on. Like someone, someone let me in. Like I'm trying to be nice. I'm buying the coffees. Like I don't get what I'm doing wrong here. <laughs> so then I sort of started saying like, do you guys hang out? Cause like, I, I feel like I'm not being invited to something. And they were mm. like, no, like, no, I haven't spoken to anyone. Like, this coffee is the best thing. I've, you know, I really enjoyed this. I haven't done anything like this for ages. And then it kind of began to dawn on me that actually I wasn't being left out. It just didn't exist. So I started a supper club, hosted one dinner, just being like, well, let's all go for dinner. I've met 15 people in the last two months who are all fantastic. I'd like to see you all again. Let's all hang out. And then it kind of, that was the first. And then the next day the emails were like, when's the next one? I was like, next, next one. Right. Yeah. Next one. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Coming up. And that's, and that's kind of, you know, from there, then I had other jobs and I was running it from London. Literally it's just like a Sunday night email list hobby, hosting some breakfasts and dinners because it made me really good at my job and I was making amazing friends. And I, I really was mostly because I was really good at, like, because it really helped me with my job. Mm. And you think about how much you can supercharge if every time you have a problem, you just like, cool, give me 20 minutes, like <laughs> fire off an email. It's like, sweet, got the answer. I was just saving so much time and heartache. Um, and so then you kind of fast forward it from there to COVID hitting and like our small little community, which is probably 400 people on an email list, then 70% of them were 
financially affected, whether that be them losing their jobs, their partners losing their jobs or a loss of income in the household. So it was just like their lives were pretty much decimated by lockdown and we were really needed and community was really needed and the our email list doubled in two weeks, you know, six years of growth taken over by two weeks of word of mouth because as soon as the country shut down, everyone just needed to know people who could help. Um, That's amazing. And then I started, you know, kind of around that time, I'd, I'd hired an assistant. I still, I was living in India, started thinking about so, how to build things. Hold on, you were living in India at the time? Yeah. So I moved to Delhi. I don't mean to be rude, but fuck you, what are you doing there? <laughs> uh, having a great time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My ex-boyfriend is a journalist. Him and I had been together for a long time. We'd always wanted to do it. We just had a pact that whoever got the job offer first, the other would follow. In India? Or uh, in a developing market. Right we, we wanted okay. to. We wanted to really like have an opportunity to travel. And as soon as I went into popcorn, I was pretty sure that wasn't going to take me global. And so... You never know. You never know. But uh, yeah, and he got the he got the job in Delhi. And so we went there and we broke up quite soon, relatively after nine years together, broke up relatively soon after I got there. And then I stayed for another two years. Nine years together. You broke up whilst out there. Yeah, we made it all the way there. And then thought, furnished a flat yeah. and I was like, no, 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 this isn't working. Yeah, amazing guy, but it was like, I can do anything. I've just moved around the world. I've just started a company. I'm making way more money than I was making in my corporate job. Like, I don't, I can change everything. So, yeah, I walked out. Wow. And so you actually, you said you were making way more money there. So I was freelance. I was predominant, well, to be honest, I was doing what Copy Club does now, just on the miniest mini scale. So I was organising events and running a community, Mm. which was like, WhatsApping a friend being like, hey, babe, can you go to the Pret on the corner, grab the pastries, run them up to the meeting room? Can you just like chair the session a bit? Cool. Bloom and wild, sending us some flowers to say thanks. Like, I was just doing it all from my phone in Delhi, but the community was still growing. And that was a really key thing for me. I was like, oh, this isn't, they, these people do not care if I'm there or not. Mm. Like, there's a need for connection mm. and conversation about marketing but also just connection conversation and the marketing is just like the weird vehicle for it Mm. that is way bigger than just some like odd view i had that people were hanging out because they wanted to spend time with me and literally nothing to do with me which is so obvious but it took me being five hours ahead half around the world to go this clearly has nothing to do with me so the community was thriving i'd gone freelance which basically meant messaging everyone i knew which was this point was like a ton of people because i'd been running this community for ages and said I've moved abroad and I don't have a job and I'd like some income and I'd like to be busy. What do you need doing? Lo and behold, an incredibly interesting array of work that I was loving, which has now grown into a team called Brand Hackers that's like a fully fledged part of our business. But it literally just started with me just doing the weird briefs that sat between the current agency landscape. And then I was starting to do bits of our matchmaking work where we act as a recruiter because I was getting asked all the time if I knew I had a marketing for X brand. And I started to realise that recruiters made loads of money. Yeah. And I was being... I was in recruitment. I was being real nice. I didn't make loads of money, but... Well, it just like had this penny drop moment of like, huh. Yeah. <laughs> I like, no, looked but, around but, and thought... Why wouldn't you? Well, exactly. I looked around and thought loads of people I know have got jobs because of introductions I've made. Yeah. I'm also giving a terrible service 
because if someone says to me, do you know someone? I'll think about it for the whole of seven uh, seconds after that email and then go, no, sorry. <laughs> it's like, well, I do. I'm just not trying. Brilliant. <laughs> so as soon as it became, yes. And if you, if I do, mm. you need to pay me. It starts, you know, the first one was 250 quid. Then at least I spent an hour thinking about it. You know, at least I walked mm. around the block and thought, who do I really know? And who would be interested in this role? And that began to demonstrate that, yeah, like really simple principle. And that those three things are still what we do now. Just a lot bigger. <laughs> still the same three verticals. How many people are in the community now? So there's about 1,100 members. Wow. Um, what do they pay yeah, each month? They pay £20 a month. Jeez. Yeah. Fuck me. To be part of our gang. Wow. Which just about pays for the team that run it. Running a community is a... Mm, it's hard. It's a total joy. But it's it's not you don't just set up a Slack group and no. like I think there's a real misconception in how much work goes into I fell into that nurturing trap. a community. I thought it'd be great to start. I think it is a great idea, but I just don't have time to do it um, to build a founders mental health Slack group. Yeah. <sighs> like we had 150 people join in a week, and I don't I don't know where it's at now. Um, but wow, it is a full time job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we have two people full-time really? who manage the community and our members have a Slack group and they have a whole archive of events and we have online events every two weeks and we have parties and dinners and there's a whole load of stuff. And yeah, it's like, it's a joy to run, but it's proper it's proper work. Mm. So that, um, that I kind of do because it's the same reason I did it the first time I set up a dinner was like, I really believe it makes people's lives better. Mm. And I sort of say to the team, like we we talk a lot about our role being to make our members happier. Mm. And I use that language really intentionally. Like I I really I really think being lonely at work is the start of a little mental health worm. Mm. That like, you know, all of that all of that inadequacy stuff that's like underpinned for all of us can flare up so hard if we're not in an environment where we're constantly reminded that no one else knows either mm. and that you're not inadequate because you're in exactly the same so place true. as everyone else and you so might true. know one thing but there's a hundred things you don't know and so creating a space where we focus on vulnerability we like actively put our hands up we don't have like this we just get away from this like peacocking that marketing is particularly bad for um and create an honest environment. I think, I think the tech industry is so bad for mm. it. Everybody's fucking posting about their insane funding rounds uh, or Forbes. I mean, Forbes thirty under thirty, or, or all that kind of <laughs> all that kind of. Wank. I'm so pleased you raised that because that's like, that's my like I'm epitome like, I'm of. Like, I'm like not having made it. Come on, for fuck's sake! What is that? Although, if Forbes well, for me, it's a list me. I never got into. That's that I'm never going to go over. Really? Yeah, that, I was really burnt by that, which you, is lame. That's in the past tense. 32. Missed the boat. Gosh, yeah. you don't look a day over 30. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> 32, eh? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, we, you haven't missed the boat because there's a f 40 under 40. Well, of course there is because it's a commercial machine. Correct, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what the operation to 34 is. Under I don't, yeah, I don't know what the operation looks like, but I think you also... Somewhat pay to be? I don't know. I don't think you. I don't think you do. Oh, right. But I. I. I, I, I don't know. And maybe my check wasn't big enough, and that's why I didn't no, get it. No, I'm not, not I don't need you. And I know lots of brilliant people who who are accredited as Forbes thirty under thirty. Yeah, deserve yeah, yeah. it deeply, and I'm not taking it away no, from them. No, totally. But um, 
to the point of inadequacy, it was quite funny. Yeah, I hear that. My friends definitely tease me for it. What have been the hardest parts about building Copy Club? One is the volume. Mm. So I run a very small business. Well, less small now, but you know, by most accounts of businesses, pretty small. That is trying to do three slash four things really well. And one, I don't really have any effective advisors and that's mostly because the advice starts and ends with you're trying to do too much to which I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. Next stupid question. (laughs) Like, yes, I'm well aware of that. Mm. (laughs) Like, clearly. But but it's really synergistic and like the whole thing, I talk Mm. about the business as an octopus and it does all really like it does all really hang together. And if you take one leg off the octopus, the other legs get weaker. And so let's move the conversation from you're doing too much to like, well, what am I actually practically going to do about it? And and that's where the, that's where I never get to a particularly constructive space. So mm. the amount that is involved in trying to, you know, from a personal point of view, trying to be an effective CEO of four mini businesses, while when one of them is a consulting business where we run marketing teams for startups. So we run the marketing teams for 16 startups at the moment and I have four internal business units. So to some extent, I'm trying to get my head around 20 companies at any one time, like 20 P&Ls at any one time. So that's one thing that I find really hard. And I think as a business, we find hard. And then on a totally different like tangent, um, I find, I, I am so motivated by building a workplace for my team where they do not feel shit about themselves. Because when I, P&G, I was coached into being someone I'm not, and that's why I ultimately left. And at Propercorn, I didn't feel like who I was was good enough. It was very explicit that who I was wasn't what they wanted. And I found that incredibly difficult. And so my complete commitment to my team is that I will never allow that to happen and I will do everything in my power to to make that not possible which is why we talk a lot about strengths and a lot about designing roles and structures around what people are great at uh, yeah and not does, I was what ask, we need. how does it actually manifest itself um it manifests itself in a lot of positive affirmation in a healthy feedback culture that puts a lot of a lot of focus on praise um spending time with individuals thinking about what their strengths are designing roles really collaboratively Mm. um being very transparent and open so that there's space to talk about things when they don't feel right Mm. i don't think we're getting it right all the time at all and that's kind of that's my point the thing that i find the hardest is trying to make that happen and failing you know when when i don't get it right and when I know that someone feels unappreciated or that I've said the wrong thing or they don't understand, like, believe in what we're doing, which I'd say is an ex- like we have an incredibly positive work environment, but I think I set a really high bar for myself and I find that really difficult. What's your relationship like with failure? I don't know if I, I find failure such a like um, black and white word. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I I would find it very hard to to list moments where I had failed. 
And I don't think that's because I don't get stuff wrong all the time. But I actually don't think I have a relationship with failure. I think I quite healthily understand that it's a slightly ridiculous term that applies only to something that's just like way more one dimensional than the world really is. I think I have a very complicated relationship kind of as we've been talking with not getting quite where I thought was possible. What's your relationship like with enough? Uh, it's better. It's definitely better. You know, I, I am much better self-care as I get a little bit older and as I get reminded over and over again by how much goes wrong if you don't take it seriously. Um, so like my relationship with exercise is a really good litmus for how I'm doing from a mental health perspective in like lots of different ways. So like if it's really, you know, if, if my mental health is really terrible, I just physically can't do it. Mm. If my mental health is in like a mania moment, then I will absolutely destroy myself. Mm. And if I'm in a healthy balance, I will be able to like just hang out in a gym class and miss around. Nice. Or like walk there and decide to go around the block and get a coffee instead. Yeah. And that to to make decisions like that and be okay about it. Um, I see as a real success. Mm. That's like, to me, that's like completely mad that I can do that and not, not that, that walk around the block, not be like full of hysterical tears and mm. a horrible narrative about how I'm a completely useless human because I didn't go to spin mm. again. Mm. We've done an hour. Oh, great. Where does time go? I just want you to know you're fantastic. And <laughs> Thanks pal. I know. And, um, I've loved this. Good. It, it's been really interesting. It's taken multiple different turns. Mm. Um, and I think one, one thing I, I'm interested in the Copy Club is personal branding. Uh, and, yes. and we won't go into that now because we can talk about that. But We can talk about that a lot. But yeah. yeah um, but I just want to say thank you because this has been very vulnerable. and But I think we're both pretty much on the same same wavelength with cool. it so, we've yeah. got some walks to do i know 